Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. A stick has been called. It's the stick of Marty McSorley. Welcome to Marty's Illegal Stick, a hockey history podcast with your host, Scott Kinville. Let's hop on that Zamboni time machine and go back in time to look at hockey's glorious history. And what's going on, hockey fans? And welcome to episode number 90 of Marty's Illegal Stick, a hockey history podcast recording here on Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. We have got a very, very fun show lined up because we've had this guy on a few times. And every time he's on, it's just it seems to get better and better and better. So we couldn't resist bringing him back. But before we bring him in, just a few news and notes we got to clean up here. I want to let you know that our show is being brought to you by the Sports History Network, and it's powered by MyLittleFalls.com. If you go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com, you can actually get Marty's Illegal Sticks swag. That's right. Mine is ordered. It's on its way. Hopefully I'll have it on display here next week. Uh, We'll see what the mailman moves along with it. So uh, (laughs) There's that. And also... um, you know, I think I'd mentioned this before, Dave. Uh, you know, over the last season, we were doing uh, local hockey coverage here for the Utica Comets and yep. uh, local college hockey on Marty'sIllegalStick.com. Well, that's no longer. That is all going to be on 315Hockey.com. It's a site that I have combined with my friend Mike Verminsky, who uh, was the owner of that site, and we decided to join forces instead of battling against each other. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And we decided to hold off one more week on our huge announcement, even though we've been teasing it on social media. So if you want to follow through on 5hockey.com on Facebook, Twitter, all across the social media world, subscribe and tune in and follow, whatever you call it, and we will keep you updated. I know, I kind of, oh, yeah, that's what it is. I, you know, I get to do it with the podcast. That was a pregnant pause. Yeah, something like that, right? Jeez. Yeah, well, anyway, that voice you hear is, of course, my sidekick, Mr. Well, Dave the Save Order. How are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 the gallery is here. That's right. <laughs> that is right. So without further ado, let's bring him in, Dave. Yep. He is the host of the Devil's State of Mind podcast on the Hockey on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, he's also the host and involved in about 40 different other shows that he's going to tell us all about. <laughs> Multiple-time guests here on Marty's Illegal Stick. He is the one, the only, Mr. Neil Villapiano. Neil, how you been? I've been doing very well, Scott, and uh, it's great to be back on the podcast. I love coming on here. I love interacting with you guys. Always Always know I could come on here and have a laugh. You know, just, you know whatever's going on during the day. I know you're I recognizing and- you're recognizing my contribution, right? 
The laughs? Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, good. So. Thank you, thank you. You are, you are the true glue of this entire operation. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Especially now that you switched the studio around. So that's it. Yeah, right. You moved it around. Yeah, Scott's all confused that I'm over here and like right in front of him now. But you know what it was because he wanted to change the camera so he can get his profile. That's what it was. Yeah. No, I don't know. My hair looked a little thinning in this shot, so I was worried about that. But lighting's going to change here shortly, so we'll see what we can do. Oh, I'll get you a Chia Pet for Christmas. You can put that on your head. Oh, jeez, no. Hey, at least I got at least I got hair to hide. Yes, that's right. That's why I got this hat on. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So, Neil, what have you been up to? Oh, what haven't I been up to? I mean, obviously, still doing Devil State of Mind. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. We'll have another one coming out tomorrow. Um, You know, and I'm actually, I kind of restarted a podcast I was doing a little bit. But uh, I'm actually now the host of the Bridge to the Nets podcast, which covers the Brooklyn Nets over on one of our sister stations, the Basketball Podcast Network. Uh, New episodes of that podcast will be out every Friday. And uh, luckily with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, there's always something to talk about. Oh, of course. (laughs) They definitely keep me busy, that's for sure. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm doing a couple of – you know, football podcasts, you know, kind of jumping on some other ones to kind of help out. Uh, Death Star Reports covers the Raiders doing that. Uh, I'm doing a podcast with a good buddy of mine from the Hockey Podcast Network. He's from Canada, from the United States, kind of a uh, cross-the-border type uh, NFL podcast that we'll be starting in a couple weeks. Interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm back to writing for Inside the Puck which I was writing for a little bit. Uh, I write and cover the New Jersey Devils, uh, and I post a new article every Wednesday. So I post a new one earlier today, which uh, I'm sure oh. we'll talk about. Oh, we'll definitely uh, get to that in the second segment, for sure. kind of interesting <laughs> uh, with the reaction, but nonetheless. And uh, I do. Um, I am now the official uh, public address announcer of a junior hockey team called the New Jersey Titans, located in Middletown, New Jersey. So people Hmm. get to hear my voice even more. That's scary. um, Once hockey season, I know, right? (laughs) I feel very bad for all the lovely families that are going to have to hear my voice every game. Every game. Um, I'm doing doing that. And uh, I do have one other major announcement that I'm going to make either later this week or next week. And uh, you'll have to... Check out my socials, T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W on, on Twitter and N-V-P-Q-B-11 on Instagram. Uh, stay tuned for that. What, you don't uh, want to break it here? Come on. No, I, gotta, I can't. I can't. <laughs> you got to get people to subscribe to the socials. No. No, we, I got to get I gotta get my social media feeds it, up more. And, I, yeah. and he so did it without pausing. It's called networking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's called networking, man. I got to do my job. You know how it is. <laughs> no, network, networking used to be talking to other people, you know. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some well, machine this, somewhere. Well, there's a lot. A lot has changed since the 1920s. That's yeah. the <laughs> oh. uh, I'll, I'll pull my sweater out for that one. Well, you missed it. He had to put the telegraph machine away really before we got in here. So <laughs> I saw people on LinkedIn bitching about people who had Rolodexes. Cut me some slack. That's a, that's quite impressive. But yeah. other than that, I'm doing really well. I'm honestly just keeping myself really busy and just taking things one day at a time. Well, that's fantastic, man. That is, and I'm so glad you made time to come on to this show because uh, we've actually started a new series here called The Best of the Best. And what we're doing is we're taking franchises, right? And we're taking all the players, coaches, all time. And we're breaking them down into like an all-star team format. So like a first team, all-time, fill in the blank. Second team, all-time, fill in the blank. And then honorable mentions. 
And this week, we are doing the New Jersey Devils. And who else would we going to have on besides you? I mean, that's a, that's a given, right? So I hope you're ready to play. I'm ready to go. Because this you is already good. know I'm ready. I'm ready to go. This is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. So as always, we always start with our honorable mentions because, you know, we want to kind of prime the, the show a little bit. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, Neil, who are your honorable mentions? So, hmm, so what are we doing? We're doing just coach. You can do um, you can do anything you want for honorable mentions. Cool. And any oh, number. Right. So, yeah, no, I, uh, that makes sense. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of simplify. I'm going to give you guys a coach, three forwards, and two defensemen. Just okay. basically what you see in a normal normal game, and we'll kind of go from there. Good deal. So for coach, and this is kind of a tough. This is kind of the tough one, um, but I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Pat Burns, who coached the Devils um, in the early 2000s after Larry Robinson uh, and helped the Devils win the 2003 Stanley Cup uh, over the Anaheim Ducks, in Mighty Ducks, excuse me. Um, and the only reason is just because he had a very short stint uh, with the New Jersey Devils. Like even after you know everything, like he was only there for like two or three years, wasn't there for very long, um, but. Still want to come, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And I think that that should definitely be mentioned. Um, as far as forwards are concerned, and this is actually like kind of fun to, uh, to think about because you try to think about like who made the biggest impact left and right. One of the things Lou Lamorell was very good at back in the day, obviously not now, but certainly back in the day, he was always able to find um, that guy at the deadline that would take the devils over the top. And it would be that goal scorer. Right. And for me, sticking with 2003, they acquired this guy prior to the start of the season, and that is Scott Friesen. Scott oh. Friesen is a guy that was, uh, you know, he had a really, really solid year, and especially in the playoffs. And certainly the Stanley Cup Finals, he took his game to another level and really showcased why the Devils were so high in acquiring him from Anaheim and bringing him over to uh, to New Jersey. Actually, he was from San Jose and brought him right. over to uh, New Jersey. So that's my first forward. My second forward would be, and this is kind of, you know, this is kind of an interesting guy, but I would probably put Travis Zajac for the longevity of the fact that he played almost his entire career uh, with the New Jersey Devils, skating over a thousand games with the Devils and uh, really became, you know, a staple for the Devils for a long time, um, well after the cup years. You know, he was there in 2012 and he was there with us until 2020, until uh, the deadline when we traded him to Lula Morello and the New York Islanders, <laughs> um, which made a lot of sense. So I'll put I'll put um, put him in there, and then the other forward is a guy that was a fan favorite for a lot of people, a big bruising winger, Bobby Holik. I love Bobby Holik. I love yep. the physicality he brought. Wasn't afraid to drop the gloves. Love that guy. The guy was phenomenal, phenomenal. So those are my three forwards. My two defensemen are the following. We are going to go with Brian Rafalski, mm-hmm. who came on the scene in the early 2000s and helped the Devils win two Stanley Cups. <clears throat> and obviously, he also won another cup when he went back home and played with the Red Wings, but Rafalski's up there. And, you know, you could kind of throw out a bunch of different defensemen for this honorable mention. For me, I would also go with another guy that had a long career with the Devils, but wasn't talked about as much. And he also... Uh, prior to Nico Heischer becoming the captain of the Devils, was the captain of the Devils, and that is Andy Green. Yep. A very strong stable. He wasn't an offensive defenseman, but he just did the little things right. And I think that that was important. He was always a guy that was consistent. He had a long Ironman streak in which he was 
was just playing every game. He was just, you knew number six was in the lineup regardless of the situation. And so always interesting about, you know, we already know who's going to be on the first line. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I always like, I always like thinking about like, I always like thinking about backups and, and things like that. And when I really, really think about it, when I really, really stop and think about it, I'm going to put Chris Terreri as that thir- as that goaltender on the honorable mention because he not only was a goalie with the Devils and one of the more consistent. Uh, he came he came along before Marty showed up. He was the he was a starting netminder before Marty came into the league and was his backup several times and ended up becoming his goalie coach later on in his career. He did and was. Uh, Always a very, very solid netminder. You know, not a flashy guy. You know, your typical average backup goaltender, but a good one nonetheless. And so he would be in my honorable mention. So those are my honorable mentions for you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all of those. And I'll tell you, Chris Terreri, because I, I had him on my honorable mention list as well, and I had a hard time putting yeah. him there because, as you know, we're up by Utica. And of course. we used to have the Utica Devils. Way back in the right. day. So Chris Terreri right. was, of course, a former Utica Devil. So when you're looking back mm-hmm. on these lists, you, that little nostalgia starts kicking in, right? It's like, oh, man, right. I want to put yep. him on this list so bad because I actually saw him play in Utica, right? But you're right. He's a, he's a fantastic honorable mention. Of course, yes. I'll, I'll give you some of the ones that I came up with. So for my coach, I actually went with Pete DeBoer. Uh, he did Go get ahead. them to the, the Stanley Cup Final in twelve. Uh, I know. I, you know what? I totally get it because I am, I'm not a big Pete DeBoer fan myself. He really do anything else. He really didn't do anything else. No, that's. I mean, we that's never just got it. close after that. But you so, know what? I mean, was, You're right. I I said to Sharks fans. I said to Sharks fans when they hired him. I said he's going to take you to the Cup the first year, and then nothing else. Yeah. And they never got back. In Vegas, the same thing. I, I'm surprised. Vegas, it ruined the trend for him because he never got to the final with them. He had success. And now he's at Dallas. So I tell Stars fans, you're probably going to the cup final this year. Just expect it. You know, because for some reason, Pete DeBoer's system works for one year and then it goes completely kaboot after that. It's like a but, gallon of milk. It's kind of short. <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah. it's so funny. Well, that's, an that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's Pete Milk DeBoer, right? <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It's funny though exactly. because looking at the at the Devils list of coaches for I mean they've been around since eighty two. They have gone mm-hmm. through so many coaches. It's like my my goodness, you know. It's like the, it's the carousel. So it was kind of hard to because yeah. I'm, I'm a longevity guy. I always like to say, well, at least for a coach, three to four years for me. But it's kind of one of those deals that you're looking at this list going, oh, my gosh, how do you do this, right? So, so right, exactly. And the reason DeBoer got my vote, like I said, is because they made the 12 final. Uh, some of my other guys on there, I had Brendan Shanahan. Um, I That's a good one. Because Shanny, he wasn't there that long. I think he was there like maybe five, five years. Uh, and then he was gone. But, I mean, when he was there, he made such a big impact on that team, which was really the beginning of the rise of the Devils. Uh, Billy Guerin, mm-hmm. another former Utica Devil that I had to put on that list. I mean, that's, you know, and I love Bill Guerin as a player. I really did. And mm-hmm. I think he's doing actually a great job as a, as a GM in, in Minnesota, considering the mess he was handed. Uh, doing oh, yeah. a fantastic job there. Uh, let's see. I also had Sarge, Sergey Breland. Uh, you know, yeah. he's now with us. Was, yeah, he wasn't going to give you a ton of offense, but man, what a, what a lockdown defensive center he was. And I tell you, he was he was just one of those underrated, quiet, big parts of all those Stanley Cup winning teams. Uh, let's see, my defenseman, I had uh, I had well Brian Rafalski, just like you, and I also yeah. had Slava Vatisov. 
Now, that's a good one. And you know, I don't know why. And I can understand. Because, I mean, it's I not like. Good idea, but yeah. It's not that he put up massive numbers, right? But everything involved with him coming over. If you think about everything that they went through and what he went through to get there, and, the, and the, he was really the, a trailblazer in, in regards to getting the Russian players over here and to getting them adjusted in, into the North American game. Uh, for my mm-hmm. goalie, I, I wanted to, I wanted to go with Chico Rush just because I always felt bad for Chico Rush because he was the goalie yes. when they were just awful, right? And the poor guy was getting peppered every night. But you know what? For me, it's Sean Burke. Sean Burke was such a big part of that first team that made the playoffs in 88. Mm. And I also wanted to put Jim Schoenfeld as the coach for my honorable mention because of all that that went on. And especially just because uh, of one of the, the most quotable quotes ever in hockey history. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I'm sure Don Koharski wouldn't want to hear it again. But, that's, <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's Berkey. And, uh, you know, he went on to have a, a, you know, a pretty good career afterwards, too. But uh, just for the simple fact yeah, that he did pretty absolutely. much lead the Devils into their first playoff spot, it's got to be Sean Burke for me. So, so so far, so good. And, and you know, I'll tell you what we're finding, Fair too, enough. with this, this best of the best list. Usually, you're right. Like, the first team is usually, like, total agreements. Yeah, no problem, because it's almost a given. It, it, everybody knows, like, the big All-Stars. Where it really gets interesting is in, right. in the honorable mentions in the second teams, because it makes you think. Right. You know, it really does. Of course. So, with that said, who is your second team's? So, yeah, I mean, uh, again, once you get closer, you know, once you get more like into the parts where you have to really think about it, because at the same time, not only do you want to put people on the list, you also don't want to put them in a situation where it feels like you're you're disrespecting them. Right. And obviously, in no way, shape or form is this disrespect. What's good for the Devils is that there's a good amount of guys that we uh, that every single Devils fan agrees with that should be at the top of the list. I mean, there's just guys and, and we'll obviously get to them in just a minute. But let's start with the forward group. The first guy is the man you were just talking about, Burke, you know, helping that Devils team make the plus the first time. But I want to bring up the guy that, with a goal, put them in the playoffs for the first time franchise history and now a assistant coach with the New York Islanders, John McClain. Yes, sir. Um, you know, McClain was part of that first era of devil's hockey. He obviously was a part of the 95 team and he made some really good contributions. Now, do I hold it against him that he went to the Rangers afterwards? It's not like I can really let that go. Yeah, no, but, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can't help it, right? Like you can't help, um, you know, doing that. So for me, you just Johnny want him McClain, to die hard is what you want. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. I'm I can't sorry. believe it. Now we got an 80s <laughs> movie reference in here on top of it. This is great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, Johnny McLean was still like a very impactful player and he got the Devils off the ground running. He helped the Devils get off the ground from the Mickey Mouse organization that Wayne Gretzky called us early on to getting us to, to that to getting us to the playoffs for the first time. And if you go back and listen to that Gary Thorne call, it might be one of his best calls of his entire career because of just the sheer excitement. Because at the time, Gary Thorne was was working for the Devils as their play-by-play voice. And he was unbelievably pumped up that the Devils finally made the playoffs. And John McClain's goal and him up in the air, just leading to the other (laughs) side of the rink. After scoring that one on Darren 
hang as my first forward, my second forward. And again, this is where things get tough. It does. Because you feel like you're leaving out important people. The next guy I'm thinking of is the guy who was the first player ever that I got his jersey. And I got it the day before he left in free agency to go to the Rangers. And that was Scott Gomez. Gomer, it was... You know, the thing about him is that he came onto the scene in 2000 and not only was a phenomenal rookie, he was a phenomenal player in general. He made the all-star team. He just did everything. And he was that energy, young spark that this team needed. Because remember, by that time in 2000, it had been five years since the Devils had made the play, had made the Stanley Cup final. They were not, they needed some fresh blood in there. Sure. And with the guys like, you know, Scott Gomez and Brian Rafalski as well. Guys like that, you needed some of those young players. Even Patrick Elias was, you know, very young right, at that right. point. Same thing with Peter Sakura, you know, that the Arnott line, just in general, even Arnott wasn't that, wasn't considered that old at that time. He was still relatively young and playing very, very well. But Scott Gomez, man, he just came on and played like a veteran. And even in the playoffs, he became just a, a, such a valuable part to that offense, that top six. And he remained with the Devils for a very long time. And, he even came back to the Devils at the end of his career to kind of, I guess, I don't know, patch things up. I'm sorry <laughs> that I decided to take major money and go across the Hudson River. But nonetheless, you know, for me, a very impactful player. And that's kind of where I look at with these lists. You're trying to look for guys that were that made major contributions to the organization to help them ultimately do the one thing that we all want them to do, and that is win. Now, this is very tough. Because there's about five guys that I want to put here as that third fourth. Like there's so many guys. I could I could label them off. You know, I could put, you know, Zach Parise. I could put Pat Verbeek. I could put so many different guys. But for me, honestly and truly, I'm going to go with Sarge, Sergey Breland. I, Good call. Because here's the thing. Sarge is the only player – from those Stanley Cup teams that does not have his number retired by the Devils. You think about it. Hmm. You got Marty. You got Marty. Yeah. Scott Stevens. Uh-huh. Scott Niedermeyer. And Ken Danica. Okay. And there's and there's one guy missing. And it's Sarge. Yeah. Now, did Sergey Breland have a Hall of Fame career? No. Did, was he top five in scoring all time with the Devils? No. Did he play 20 plus years in the league? No. And I get that. But at the same time, he was just a big enough contributor as the four Hall of Famers or should be Hall of Famers that are that are up in the rafters. And as I mentioned in my last podcast episode, talking about Sergey Breland coming up now as an assistant coach with the Devils, that maybe now that he's in New Jersey full time and he'll be around, that maybe the Devils start to hear this, you know, pick it up and say, you know what? I think it's time that we honor him in some way. Now, if they have a ring of honor, mm-hmm. he will certainly get in there. And I understand that this contended as to why putting Sergey Breland's number up to the rafters isn't really worthy. Well, there's been guys that didn't go in the Hall of Fame that their number was retired in not just hockey, but in other sports. Right, right. So, I mean, it's it's not like that it's it's so out of the question. So, But nonetheless, Sergey Breland had just as much of an impact as all those other guys. And for me, just again, because of the other forwards that we'll still, we've still yet to talk about, I just think that it's still worth putting him in that top two line. So I'm going to go with Sergey Breland 
on that one because I really, really love, you know, what he brought to the table. Now, we go to the defenseman, and this is where it's like it's one of those things where you try to you try to figure out, you know, who makes the most amount of sense. Unfortunately, we have three guys who I just mentioned who were defensemen that have their number up in the rafters. <laughs> and the question is one of them may unfortunately have to come down to the second, uh, <laughs> let's call it, you know, line, the, I the guess. The second line, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the second line. And it's <laughs> it's so tough. It's so tough to, like, which one makes the most amount of sense. And unfortunately, I'm going to go with the guy that he didn't finish his career with the Devils, but nonetheless was phenomenal. And you could thank Tom Carvers and the Toronto Maple Leafs for us acquiring this player in the draft. And that is from Kamaloops, Scott Niedemeyer. There he goes. And you think about Scott Niedemeyer. He was the quintessential offensive defenseman in an era where offensive defensemen weren't really the norm. Sure. A lot of the defensemen back then were big body, playing, you know, defense, right. blocking shots. You know, Ken Danico and Scott Stevens were like that. that cleaning clocks. <laughs> exactly. Cleaning <laughs> clocks, ringing people's bells, whatever, whatever terms you want to use. And Scott Niedemeyer was just an, uh, such a talented defenseman. He was a five-tool defenseman. And if you don't believe me, all you got to do is go back to his goal against the Detroit Red Wings in, I believe it was game one or game two of the finals, where he went basically coast to coast by himself and scored a great goal. He did that as well against the Dallas Stars in game six of the 2000 finals. But those are just examples of what he was able to bring on a day-to-day basis. And I think that is just phenomenal. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And so I, and, and again, he went to Anaheim later in his career and won another cup with his brother. And I love that. And I, and fun fact, Rob Niedemeyer actually finished his career playing with the devils. So in case Maybe they planned that. <laughs> yeah. It just, they, they were really trying to like have yeah. a good time with that one. But you know, there's, it, it was tough. You know what I'm saying? It was very, very tough. And then the other defenseman. I'm going to go with the guy that also helped the Devils win the 95 Stanley Cup. Um, he's a big Devils alum, alumnist. He's there for all the alumni events. Uh, pretty mild-mannered guy, but uh, definitely, wor- definitely worthy of being up here, and that's Bruce Driver. Yeah. Another guy that, again, you know, he just – he made an impact. He, he was a veteran on a young Devils team that was – primed to begin their run of dominance in the NHL. And uh, he was at towards the tail end of his career because he had already played a bunch prior to that. But I'm sure he saw that the Devils were on the rise, so to speak, and that it was just a matter of time. And even in, in 1995, he still was able to contribute a bunch. And so I think that he deserves uh, definitely that mention of being you know up there when it comes to those defensemen. Because again, you think about it and you wonder to yourself, well, after the top three defensemen, which we all know, where does everybody else fit in? Right. And I know people might say, well, Rafalski won two cups. Well, that is true. Was he as impactful in the early years of helping the Devils grow is. into what they became? No, not really. Bruce Jarvis was a part of that. That's why I brought John McClain into the conversation before as well. So that's the way I would look at it. So – and then you go to the goaltending, and we were just talking about this, Scott. And I know you <laughs> wanted to put him on here, 
but I'm going to put him on here as my second goaltender, and that is one of the first fan favorites of the New Jersey Devils, and certainly a fan favorite with the New York Islanders. <laughs> there he is. Chico Resch. There he, he is. Just, you know, was he like? Let's let's we got to call it like it is, right? Was he the greatest goaltender we've ever seen? No. Was he solid? He was okay, you know. But he had such a great personality. Again, part of the Devils growing up and really slowly but surely becoming what they eventually became. And the other thing is that he has been with the Devils as a broadcaster for a long time. Sure. I mean, he went from doing TV with Doc Emmerich. He then did a little bit with Steve Cangelosi. And now he's working with his best buddy, Matt Laughlin, on the Devils radio network, doing the games on radio. And he's still a part of the... Still part of the Devils organization. Everybody remembers, you know, the Chico Eats segment they used to do on MSG back in the day. There's so many great things. And I think when you look at just impact in general, you look at Chico more for off the ice than on. But at the same time, I mean, everybody in the hockey world of a certain age knows who Chico Resch is just from his personality. Right. And I think that that goes a long way as well to establishing some form of credibility to an organization. And you know so what? for me, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know what it is with Chico, too? So the, a lot of guys you think of, well, there's one team that pops into my mind when I hear that name. With Chico, you can either think New Jersey or the Islanders. He's one of those That's guys that just kind of pulled that off, and, it, it's, and he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. Like I said, I wanted to put him on that list so bad. But I was also looking at his record. I'm like, hey, yeah, I know that the team wasn't. I know, you know that's. I was yeah, like, boy, look like, at those well, numbers. I'm like, Eesh. But yeah. you know what? I, I give you a lot of credit for having the guts to pull that off because I wanted to and you did. Good job, my at, friend. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's all it's all our opinion, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all our opinion. So, exactly. Yeah, that would be that right there is my entire second line, so to speak. Who's the uh, who's the coach of this this particular team? Oh, that's right. The coach. The coach is very easy for me, and that is Larry Robinson, because think about this, right? We know a lot of coaches to be very, you know, high voice, very demanding, right. things like that. Larry Robinson, even as a player, was a very mild-mannered person for the most part, except after the Devils were down three games to one to Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2000, where he absolutely just ridiculed the team both in 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 the locker room and, and in the press in the press conference like he just you know he wanted that he wanted to send a message and it worked and a lot of people recognize Larry Robinson as a uh, you know a really low key guy who likes to joke with his players basically like a players coach mm-hmm. the players want to play for him and he came into a weird position if you remember Robbie Fatorik was the coach the entire year right. and then with five games to go in the season he gets fired and Larry Robinson becomes the interim head coach. And not only does, do the devils uh, survive, but thrive and they get into the playoffs and they go all the way to win the cup. And it was just a phenomenal job by him. And honestly, even as an assistant, cause he came back to the devils in 20, 2011, 2012 under Pete DeBoer and was in charge of the defense. And he was a phenomenal defensive coach. Oh yeah. Oh, and absolutely. Even if you, and, and if you talk to guys like Mark Edward Vlasic, Brent Burns, guys, Justin Braun, guys like that, who were in San Jose when Larry Robinson was there, they will tell you the exact same thing. They don't get to the cup final in 2016 without that calming presence and coaching on the back end from a Hall of Famer. And here's the thing. 
Larry Robinson was a Hall of Famer already before yes. he got into coaching. He was already respected as one of the, you know, one of the greats of the Montreal Canadiens dynasty, one of the 3,000 that they've had in their, in their illustrious history. Um, but, you know, he, he was already a well-respected person. And once he got into coaching, it just, it just worked for him. Some guys, they can't be coaches. But Larry Robinson was not only, in my opinion, in many ways, a, a Hall of Fame player, she certainly is, but a Hall of Fame coach. And, and even just a Hall of Fame assistant, he was just a great guy wherever he went and just had a calming presence about him. And for me, he definitely deserves to be up there on the list of, you know, the oh, yeah. some of the best coaches, uh, certainly top two, in my opinion, in Devil's history. Because, again, look at what he did in the very short time that he had between the regular season and going right into the playoffs for a team that had not won, the, had not even gotten to the finals in five years. Sure. And that was a big job by him. Oh, Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, like with, with my second team, we totally agree on this one. Larry Robinson is the coach of my – because, number one, he's always been one of my all-time favorites anyways, regardless. But, I mean – Of course. But the job he has done as a coach – and you know what? He doesn't really have that long of a coaching career, but it's nothing but success. And you know no. what? And, and becoming the first interim you know, coach – All he knows is winning. Exactly. All he knows is winning. All know, and, and, you know, like that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> But yep. no, becoming the first the interim worst thing coach in the world you could have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> becoming the first interim coach to ever win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, Berube did it, you know, in nineteen, but he was the trailblazer there. So, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Larry Robinson for me number two as well. On my defense, we agree with Bruce Driver. Absolutely, he's he's another one of those guys. When I think New Jersey Devils, he's one of the guys that pops into my head. Bruce Driver, mm-hmm. because like you said, he was there from the, the beginning, really, the infancy. And all the way up through. And, yeah, it was weird He also him. had a great playoff beard. If you go back yeah, he to the he had a great playoff beard. Yes, he did. You're right. You're so right. And it was. It was so weird seeing him in, in Rangers colors when he went over there. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but we we disagree a little on the second defenseman. So I went mm-hmm. with Kenny, uh, Kenny Danico. Mm, um, because okay. for me, I, I mean, obviously Danico is another Mr. Devils. No doubt about it. He's Mr. Devil. I mean, that's what his nickname is, Mr. Devil. Exactly, exactly, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, And he had to be on this list somewhere. There was no doubt, you know. Uh, Just for me, um, and obviously I think it kind of gives away who my first pair is going to be. Take a wild guess. (laughs) I wonder. Uh, But, you know, like what separated him and Niedermeyer for me was Niedermeyer's offensive ability. And I know that's not everything in a defenseman. I get that, right? But for me, like Danico was like a, like a Scott Stevens light almost, right? I mean, he was just he was the guy that's going to clean somebody's clock. He's solid not score defense. At all. No, no, not at all. No. And so, but again, they, the Devils don't have the success they do without Kenny Danico. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So of for course. me, and, and you know, you think about it like in 2000 when Danico scored, um, I think it was in Game One of the Finals when the Devils just absolutely peppered. Um, Ed Balfour, they blew them out. He, he, it was such a blow that he ended up scoring. And I remember Gary Thorne said, you know, <laughs> let the celebration begin in the Danico household. It must be a leap year. It was like Danico <laughs> scoring a goal is the craziest thing on the planet. It's like, it's, it's one of those hilarious things. It's like, it just became not like a running joke, but it was just hilarious how like he just scored so infrequent. Right, right. It's a leap year and it's a full moon. <laughs> right, exactly. It's everything you could think of. 
Uh, um, going into my forwards, we agree on Scott Gomez. I got him as my center. No, no doubt about it. I mean, you, you, for every reason you said, and I, I, you know, you're right. I mean, there's just no getting mm-hmm. around that. Uh, on the left wing, I've got Zach Parise. And, and I, you know, I, seven seven seasons with as the Devils. Winger. Yeah, yeah. As, as a winger. Because yeah. uh, yeah. the list that I'm going off. He play center as well, but he was mostly a winger. Yeah, they, they've got him lift, listed as a, as a left winger. And, I mean, 194 goals is nothing to sneeze at. And especially in that era when the Devils were playing such a tight defensive game. To be able to put up those yeah. kind of goal-scoring numbers, pretty impressive to me. You know, like, I yeah. can't – I mean <laughs> – He was a homegrown kid as well. I mean, he, he was. was. Drafted, he was drafted by the Devils and eventually became the captain and helped that team get to the cup final in 2011-2012. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, boy, I tell you, it's a good thing that they didn't throw that kind of money that Minnesota did to keep him. But You know, at the end of the day, when when it happened, I was more stunned. I was when, you know, you know, it's like, what, 10 years ago now? It's, yeah. it, it was one of those things where, like, that's when you're a kid, you learn about the business of, of sports. And granted, unfortunately at that time, uh, his legendary father, J.P. Parise, was, you know, near the end of his uh, time on earth. And I believe he died in that same year, if I'm yes. not mistaken. But he wanted to go home. Right. And at the end of the day, you get that. You understand that. Sure, And sure. you recognize that. Um, or you could be Johnny Gaudreau and say that you sort of want to go yeah. home. And then not really go home. So, you know, it's just depending on the situation that you're in. Uh, but He just meant the same time zone. That's what he meant. Right, right. He meant time zone. He should have been more – he wanted to work with Father Time on that one. Yeah. Um, but to me, like, it was – it was it made sense for the first couple of years to boo Parise when he comes back. Even now, like, I know he's on the Islanders. You could tell by the fans, like, if you watch the game – there just isn't that many fans anymore that remember that Parise left the Devils in free agency to right. Minnesota. Like, so I'm glad that we don't boom anymore because at the end of the day, he's a guy that should be recognized in one way or another by the Devils at some point when his career is over um, because he was a really, really impactful player during that period where we weren't making the finals, but we were always making the playoffs and always giving ourselves a shot. And he was that leader of that team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what really helps with that, with the point you were just making about not booing him anymore, because people see just how much that blew up in Minnesota's face. How it ended up, you know, they ended up having to buy him out, and they're, they're going to be I out. Mean, we still boo Kovalchuk, even though he doesn't but he know, deserves it. do anything. Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. He deserves it. He finally, he finally, by the way, he finally sold his house in New Jersey like a couple months ago. So I don't know why it took that long to sell a house, but, you know. Well, nobody wanted to be in it. <laughs> it was right. the it was bo- some, bodies in the backyard. It, it was somebody from out of town that knew nothing about hockey that bought it. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Like, oh, this is a nice house. Where have yeah. I been on the market so long? It's There's cursed. A, uh, it's cursed. Yeah, I gotta send you guys the picture because there is a graveyard not too far from our house. And there's, a, there's a there's a tombstone. There's a tombstone with the last name Kovalchuk, and I said this is where his career went to die. That's exactly where it went. That's funny. So, there you go. Oh man, there that's so funny. Uh, so the other winger I got, and I had a hard time between this guy and Brian Gianta, but I went with Peter Sakura. I went with Sakura. I like it. Similar numbers to Parise, similar numbers. Just seemed to be, for me, when I watched the Devils, he always seemed to be one of those guys that just got the big goal when you needed it. And just a solid player. You know, there was, didn't do anything the best, but he did everything very good. And you know what? For me, that's good enough. 
Yeah, and I mean, he was he was consi- he was very good even in his later years when he went to Pittsburgh and helped them win sure. the cup in 2009. And he came back to the Devils in 2011-2012 and, of course, was put on a line with with uh, Patrick Eliash because why not? Right. But, like, Sikora came through for us big time in many ways, even at that age. And that was classic too, just knowing exactly at the perfect moment to make a move for a guy, even if it seemed like, why are we making a move for, you know, nostalgic reasons? Like, why are we bringing him back? And, you know, it was he was still very impactful. And I think it's great that – couple years ago, they were able to finally allow him to skate around the ice with the cup over yes, his head because yes. he wasn't able to do that in, in 2000. But I think it's great that they did that. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, he was a part of the Devils because he was a big-time gamer. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for my goaltender of this team, and this might not be a very popular choice amongst Devils fans, but I went with Corey Schneider just based on numbers. I know. I know. I I know. Are you trying to hurt my feelings? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm just. Do you understand? Like, do you understand that that was the only thing we had for about five years? (laughs) Well, that's my God. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, do you know how much it hurt me to put Chris Curry on the honorable mentions over him? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, but I looked at the numbers, and honestly, yeah, he had a losing record. He was one fifteen and one thirty three. But he had 17 shutouts. He had a, a GAA of two fifty or two point five zero, and a save percentage of nine fifteen. <laughs> What's that? You want me to rant today? That's what you want me to do. Because so, I've, I've, I've had to talk about this man for a long time. <laughs> well, if you if you want to make a comment, you can you you can feel free. Go right ahead. I'll let you finish, and then I can make my. No, comment. go ahead. I, I I can't wait to hear what you got to say. So whatever I got to say is inconsequential <laughs> at this point. <laughs> So everybody, like, loves to crap on the fact that, you know, Bo Horvat was the pick that ended up being dealt away from New Jersey to Vancouver in that deal. Yep. And you look at what Bo Horvat has done now and where Corey is. But you have to understand that that was during the time when Lou was at the end of his time in New Jersey. And we were one of the older teams in the league. We weren't rebuilding. We weren't even close. We had no scoring. Our defense, it was like the opposite of what we have now. Right, we have tremendous offense, and we have we had at least for a while very bad defense, and now we have pretty bad goaltending. Right, right? but at that time when Corey was in his prime playing in New Jersey, that he was the one constant, especially after Marty left, because we knew that Corey was brought in to be the guy to replace Marty, and that's a hard thing to say, but it's true. Right, and he came in, and I always said this. That if the Devils were a good team back then, if he they were making the playoffs, Corey Schneider would have won a Vesna Trophy. Because other than his win-loss record, for two or three years, he was one of the better goaltenders in the league. He was. One of the most consistent. And by the time you got to 17-18, the year that we made the playoffs, his body started to break. And you saw it. He lost his job to Keith Kincaid. And he wasn't able to regain it until... The playoffs when Keith Kincaid got shelled in game number one against Tampa. Mm -hmm. And then Corey came in and looked like the Corey Schneider of old. And though he tried to keep pushing it years after the fact, um, it just wasn't able to work out. And it was tough to buy him out. Um, But it had to be done. We had to to accept that the Devils had to move on to another tender. And unfortunately, we are still looking – for that number one goaltender. Could it be one of the guys we have now? I'd like to hope. 
I'd love to hope. And hopefully, Scott, you don't have to bring me back on to rant about goaltending again <laughs> anytime soon. Like, don't need that. It's not good for my blood pressure. I'm 25 years old. I'm not trying to die before I reach 30. So anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, no, Corey was, was a great – Corey was an awesome personality. And he was a very – if you look at it from a talent perspective, you can honestly make an argument he's one of the better goaltenders in our history. From a talent and consistency, and you disregard the accolades because it just wasn't. He was on the team during a very difficult sure. transition period that we're still trying to unfortunately eventually get out of. And right. hopefully it's this year. But, you know, it didn't surprise me when Corey got called up in April with the Islanders and his first and only game was a start against the Devils in which he beat us. Of course. Does not surprise me what You knew that was coming, right? The hockey gods knew that this was going to (laughs) happen. And they made sure it happened. And uh, I still have his jersey. I still think he's a phenomenal guy. I'm still trying to see if I could get him on the podcast, hopefully in the future, because... Oh, that'd be cool. You know, it was was awesome. And, uh, but I could, I could see... I could see why you would put Corey on there. I understand it. Yeah. I mean, the, the talent was there, no doubt about it. It's just he was – I think he was more of a, a victim of circumstance or anything else. So – Right. Of course. <clears throat> okay. So we're down to one now. We're down to our all-time best Devils team. And, of course, being the Devils guru that you are, I got to have you lead it off. So without further ado, Mr. Villapiano, let us hear your number one all-time New Jersey Devils team. So I think for the most part, it won't be controversial. You know, I think you'll you'll hear some pretty typical names. There might be, you know, an interesting curveball here or there, but I'll explain in great detail as I always do. So for coach, <laughs> you got to go with the man that pissed off the entire NHL uh, with his system for a long time. <laughs> sure and that did. is Jacques Lemaire. Uh-huh. I mean, there's just no way to put it. The neutral zone trap. He did what every great coach does. Create a system that is best for the team you have. And that's what he did. And it worked. And once the players bought in, there was no stopping that team. And they became the pain in the ass of the NHL. That nobody wanted to play this team. And that system did continue after Lemaire was gone. And you saw what he actually did also in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It got them to the conference finals in 2003. Right. It was, it was the same type of team. It was the same type of way. But Jacques Lemaire was just unbelievable. He was that first legitimate big-name coach that the Devils had, and people said, wow, he's there. And he actually ended up coming back to the Devils as an interim head coach in the 2010-2011 season and nearly brought us to the playoffs despite a horrific start to that year thanks to John McClain, who was the coach at the time. (laughs) Jacques Lemaire came in, and he did a phenomenal job of just – Coaching the team the way that they needed to be coached. And he's the best coach in Devils history. He's the one that got us started. He's the one that got us to delivering first ever title to the state of New Jersey. And I think that that was, you know, you can't help but not recognize that he's the best that we've ever had. And, uh, you know, it it makes perfect sense that he's uh, the coach of the top team on my list. So no brainer pick right there. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's go to probably some other no brainer picks for the most part. We'll start with the leader in goals points. I think also you might be assists as well and should be in the hockey hall of fame. 
And that is number 26, Patrick Eliash. No doubt. I know exactly why Eliash isn't in the hall. It's the devil's bias. It is the devil's. We don't, we don't want more devils in the hall. We don't want to recognize the fact that they had other great Hall of Fame worthy players. But eventually the older committee will die and then Elias will probably get in. <laughs> they're still so, mad about the neutral zone trap. They're still like, very upset it. about that. They're still having PTSD from 1998. <laughs> but, I mean, Patrick Elias was that goal-scoring legend that we had. I mean, he, he was there every year. He gave it 110%. He would score 30-plus goals a season and would be our, one of our top guys. And it started even from a young age when he was on that Arnott line with him, Jason Arnott, and Peter Sikora. And as he continued to flourish more and more in his career. And what's great about Elias is that I went to his last game he ever played. And I remember it so vividly. It was the final game of the season against the Toronto Maple Leafs, which the Leafs had just begun their, you know, era of, you know, the, the core that they have. Right, now. right. And we were obviously not going to the playoffs every day. We had brought up a couple young guys. And Elias. Oh, got a little freeze up there. It must have been, must have been mentioning the, the Leafs rise to the first round. They really? Got, really? Know, that, <laughs> <laughs> it may cut out. That's, a, that's just it. Well, I'll tell you, while, while he's reestablishing the connection, I, I got Elias on my list too, Dave. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And the same thing with Lemaire. Uh, both of those guys are, are no-brainer. No-brainer first-team picks for the Devils. Uh, just the impact alone that both of those those guys had is just unbelievable. Um Hopefully we get him back pretty soon here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm disappointed in you, by the way. What? Because he mentioned John McLean and not another diehard reference. I, I got one in and I thought that's good enough. You know? <laughs> wow. Wow. I figured, you know, once once that first one came in, I figured you'd have a nup ready to go. Yippee I O did I miss something? And he's back. All right. Well, he we lost you for a minute. He wanted another John McClain reference, and so I had to give him one. Oh, okay. All right. Got you. Got you. All right. No worries. No worries. So, I mean, so after that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Pat- Patrick Elias is going to go down as the greatest, you know, goal scorer. You know, overall, I think overall, like forward, um, you know, skater, I guess you'd say, but skater. Mm-hmm. It froze it again. Of the Devils organization. And even when you think about it, like I remember when Andre Palat signed with the Devils um, in free agency this year, he, Eliash, was so vital in explaining and kind of giving in detail to Eliash, uh, giving detail to Palat about what it, you know, what it's like to play in New Jersey. Eliash still works with some of the young players. He comes down and helps the team out in many ways. Um, he's still very much a part of the Devils organization, and uh, you know it's it makes perfect sense that his numbers up in the rafters. And now we're just waiting for his name to be enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame, which I think is going to happen sooner rather than later. But my first forward through all of that is <laughs> certainly Patrick Elias. So we got we got one going here. We got one going. So now we go to another winger, and this is a guy that became one of the most hated players in NHL history. Oh, I know where you're but going with this. <laughs> was one of the clutchest players in NHL history. And that is Darren McCarty's best friend. <laughs> and I say that because 
Claude Lemieux, who won the Smythe Trophy in 95 as, as playoff MVP, and then was proceeded to be dealt weeks later to the <laughs> what turned out to be the Colorado Avalanche and start their um, history. That 95 season, especially in the playoffs against Boston and then Philadelphia and all, and then, you know, playing in the Stanley Cup finals against the Red Wings team that everybody thought they were going to get swept. Yep. And they ended up doing the role reversal. And who was the focal point on the offense? It was Claude Lemieux. And he came up with those big time goals when you needed it. And he carried that team on his back throughout that entire time that he was. Um, there. And even when he came back to the Devils in 2000 for a short stint, he still was able to contribute some as well in the playoffs and help the Devils win a second Stanley Cup in 2000. And it's, it's funny how, you know, he's considered to be one of the most hated, not by Devils fans. You know, the funny thing is that was he disliked? Yes. But it wasn't until he went to Colorado and started his whole craziness with the abs and the Red Wings robbery. <laughs> Up to that point, he was an annoying-ass player, but he was a clutch player. He continued to be. But with the Devils, he really was that first clutch, big-time player that the Devils had in their in, in their team. And he made sure that he always was able to live up to the hype and come through when they really needed him most. So give me Claude Lemieux for that one. And then we go to... Another player that he wasn't on the, the – the funny thing about him is that did, did he play uh, his entire career with the Devils? No. But he later became a captain of the team and uh, was one of the more long-tenured Devils that Lou actually ever brought in. And that is number 15, Jamie Langenbrunner. Oh, interesting pick. Langenbrunner was another consistent 25 to 30-plus goal scorer Every year. And he was a guy that bought into the Devils right away when he came over. He bought into them right away. And, and you know, immediately loved playing for the Devils. He represented Team USA very, very well. And he represented the Devils also well. But he was just very, very good. And you look at it from a points perspective, when he was with the Devils, he ended up finishing 15 points shy of 400 in his career with the black and with the red and black. That's pretty good. Sure is. And again, he didn't play his entire career in New Jersey, and he didn't finish his career with the Devils either. So he, he kind of bounced around and played a bunch of years. He was in Dallas. Right, right. And then he went back to Dallas later on in his career. Yep. So he was it, – it was big. It was big for him to come to the Devils. He was a very, very well-known young name when he came over to New Jersey and really just fit in right away and then was a mainstay for, you know, almost a decade. He was an Olympian that, too. What's up? He was an Olympian, too. He was an Olympian several times. Yes. So he's a great player. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Could make an argument, but he might be just on the outside looking in. But, you know, right, veterans right. committee, you never know with these things. You never know sure. when they get in. I've seen lesser players get in for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I think, you know, just think about the impact Langenbrenner had on those cup team on some of those cup teams and the fact that he was also just a great leader both on and off the ice i think says a lot about him and he was just another recognizable name for a lot of devils fans even of my age like a lot sure. of us know who Jamie Langenbrenner was and what he was able to bring to the table so now we come to the most obvious part of the first two <laughs> very obvious right very obvious so my first defenseman 
was the captain of the Devils for all three Stanley Cups. And we can thank the Blues for basically <laughs> stealing um, Brendan Shanahan yeah. away from us in order for us to acquire this man as a, cons- as a uh, consolation prize. And that is the most intimidating defenseman potentially in NHL history. And that is number four, Scott Stevens. Oh, yeah. And all you got to do is go back to the video of him in 95 looking at the Red Wings bench, pointing at them saying, you're next, you're next, you're next. And he meant it. And you think about some of the bone-crushing hits yes. he's had, he had in his career. He knocked out Kozlov in the 95 finals. I mean, he knocked them out, mm-hmm. quite frankly. You look at Eric Lindros at least just gonna say that. three times Scott Stevens put Eric Lindros's lights out. And Eric and Lindros was no small man by any stretch of the he imagination. Was big, he was much huge. bigger than Stevens. Yeah, huge. And then he went after guys like Matt Sundin. He was not afraid to go after your top guy. And the most iconic one, which ended up not working in the devil's favor, but it was that game six in 2003 cup final against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks where the Devils were getting blown out, it was clearly obvious that they were not going to win that game. And in the second period, you saw Scott Stevens with his head, with um, with Paul Correa's head down, put him out and put him out cold. And he laid there, and nobody thought he would come back in that game and maybe even the series. And as we know, Correa came back, had that big slapper. Yep. You know, Gary Thorne with the unreal call. At that time, but it was it was still a huge hit nonetheless, and that was just what Stevens was, and he won a Conn Smythe Trophy in 2000 for a lot of those bone crushing hits and being able to slow down some of the top players in the league that year. I mean, you're talking about Pavel Bure against Florida, you're talking about Matt Sundin against the Toronto Maple Leafs around two, and you're going up against guys like Eric Lindros and like even Rob Brendamore mm-hmm. in the Legion of Doom. In the, in the cup finals. And then you go to the, the, the cup final and you're going up against Mike Madano, Brett Hall, Darian Hatcher, and he was able to shut them down for the most part and really help the Devils have another, what many consider to be an upset in the cup final in 2000. And he deserved that consmite. And he was a guy that was very well respected and feared throughout his entire career with the Devils, he kind of brought that intimidation from other teams that you don't want to, you don't want to play the Devils. You, you don't. Nope. They, was number four is on the ice. Like was, and Stevens was one of those guys that looked like he was straight out of central casting. You know, he was just, <laughs> un, he was so unbelievably intimidating. And, you know, he was a solid coach as well when he coached a little bit with the Devils. He's a good analyst. Yeah, um, absolutely. As well, very smart hockey mind. But, when you talk about the defense of the New Jersey Devils all the time, yeah. you can't you can't not talk about Scott Stevens. Yeah, and no so, doubt, no doubt, makes sense. And then we go to the guy that you, with so much disrespect, put in the second <laughs> because of talent, because of offense capability. But there's a reason they call this man Mister Devil, and I'll always remember him talking about when he got drafted. His first reaction was. Where the hell is New Jersey? <laughs> and for 20 years, he made New Jersey his home and was part of the Devils growing up and going through that Mickey Mouse era and every to winning three of those Stanley Cups and is still an indelible part of the Devils franchise to this very day. 
And that is Mr. Devil himself, Kenny Danico. Absolutely. And I don't really think I have to explain in other details. Yeah, the dude was not a goal scorer. The dude was your typical 80s, 90s defenseman who would throw the gloves down every chance he got, especially when he faced off against Ty Domi. I don't know if it was just he had an axe to grind with him or something, but it's just that type of thing. But you look at Ken Danico now, and he's a, he's a great guy, great personality. Um, he's always laughing. He's always optimistic about the Devils, even when we've been terrible. And believe me, we have been absolutely terrible at times. <laughs> and But he still supports the red and black to the day he dies. And we all love Kenny Danico, and his number rightfully deserves to be up there. Absolutely. With all the others, I believe I believe he was the first devil to have his number retired. I'm I'm pretty sure, and then it was Stevens after that. But Ken Danico, man, you talk about that. You talk about a defensive pairing of Danico and Stevens. My goodness, that's straight out of WWE. But, <laughs> especially with the players we have in the league now, I, I don't know. think a lot of these young players would want to face off against these guys right no. now. No, I, I don't think so. so. That is those are my two defensemen, and now. We come to the most important position in the game of key, and that is the goaltending position. Something the Devils apparently forgot about <laughs> for the last decade, or at least the last several years. And when you think about goaltending, and you think about the NHL, there's one name that comes up, controversially or not, as arguably, in my opinion, not arguably, but 1,000% the greatest player, the greatest netminder, in NHL history, and that is number 30, Martin Brodeur. And I and I mean, I could go on and on about all the records that he has. And yeah, the one blemish that he has is that he lost a Stanley Cup final to Patrick Waugh, to which I argue that what if Marty had won that cup? Right. Would you would there be any argument whatsoever? You know, I get the whole neutral zone trap stuff, but as I just want to be clear about this, and I'm blanking, Barry Melrose, back in the early 2000s, you know, he talked about Marty's going to go down eventually as the greatest net minor to ever play the position. This was in 2000. This was before he had won the next two cups and did the amount of stuff that he did. And Marty Bruder grew up as a fan of Patrick Waugh. Mm-hmm. And you looked at that 2001 Stanley Cup final as the greatest goaltending matchup of all time. Because you got two of the top three net miners in NHL history going off in a seven-game series. And it was phenomenal. And obviously, the Devils, they should have won the Cup, but see here nor there. But Marty continued to break records. He has the most wins, the most shutouts, most games played. I mean, I could go on and on, right? I was there in person when Marty got to 5-5-2 and became the winningest goaltender in NHL history. A record that will never be broken. No, I don't think so. Nowadays, not going to nope. happen. Mark Andre Fleury, you know, he's still got about two hundred plus to go, and yeah. he doesn't have yeah. very much time left in the league, so <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I think one of the other incredible things is this: Martin Brodeur was in his forties when the Devils went to the Cup final in 2011-2012. Think about that. It's amazing. He was in his forties. Absolutely amazing. And he helped them get two wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's if all. If he had won that cup, I mean, if he, if he, I don't like talking well, about Well, Dave still thinks he can do it. So that's, you know. 40s. 
Young whippersnapper. (laughs) (laughs) But he defined, and you know, the biggest thing of all, because we talk about impact, Scott, is this. He He had his own style. Nobody can replicate what Marty did. The flopping, the the crazy scorpion saves, the poke checking, the way he played the hell, they changed the rule book for goaltenders because of the way he played and became a third defenseman or like a fourth forward for a lot of guys. And if you have all of that going for you, why aren't you considered the greatest player at your position? That's why I say Will Chamberlain's the greatest basketball player of all time because they changed the game. Because he was so dominant. They changed the game to slow him down. Right. That's why they did. That's what they did to Marty. They changed the rules to slow him down. And he still kicked butt. And he was phenomenal. And I wish he would have been able to get to 800 wins. Um, obviously, him going to St. Louis was a tough pill to swallow. And it was very weird. Um, but, you know, you know Lou what? had to make the choice to move on to Corey. He had to. He had, you know. Yeah, but you know what? You know, you know what that was, don't you, right? That was St. Louis's revenge. For the Scott Stevens, Brendan Shanahan thing. Right. Yeah, it was totally. <laughs> yeah, that was totally it. Yeah, Ken Davidson, Ken Davidson wanted to uh, wanted to make his mark there. But yeah. it's great that Marty came back um, and he now works with the Devils. And he's our best recruiter in free agency. I mean, especially for net minding. I'm like, we have a guy that can convince literally anybody to join our team. Yeah, right. Especially if you're a goalie. Um <laughs> And, and look at all the young netminers we have. They have a chance to talk to Marty a bunch. Sure. You're talking about the greatest goaltender to ever play the position with, honestly, one most not talked about backup goaltenders that had a phenomenal year, and that was Scott Clemenson. Yeah. In that one year that was hurt. Right, right. Year, and Scott Clemenson won like 30 games, something ridiculous. Like he, it was incredible. That, and Scott Clemenson still works for the team. But. Marty Brodeur, man, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest to ever do it. They changed the rules because of him. He broke all the records. Yeah, he has one fewer Stanley Cup than Patrick Waugh. And, I mean, it, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, you can't deny that Martin Brodeur isn't just the greatest goalie and player in Devils history, but the greatest goalie and one of the best players in NHL history, and for all of those reasons, obviously. So, yeah, so question for you. <laughs> Serious question yes. now. So if he's that good, how come you guys have such a goalie problem right now? If he can attract oh, anybody. That's not a roast. Uh, yeah. That's not a roast. That is a legitimate question that yeah. I have been asked before, so I, I appreciate that question. Yeah. So my honest opinion of this is simply, number one, um, Marty is not a coach with the team. He is an assist. He is an assistant to the assistant general manager. He has his own role in the day-to-day operations of, you know, scouting and things like that. He kind of is, and it, he's kind of Tom Fitzgerald's right wing, right wing man. He's always involved in everything. Um, when it comes to coaching, the Devils have definitely struggled to find a really solid goaltending coach. Dave Rogalski, I mean, you know, he's he's okay, but he's only had one year. And it's tough to say how good or bad he is if guys are just get not getting healthy. And last year was just abysmal because of injuries and things like that. So, I mean, 
It is what it is. And yes, you would think that with the greatest net miner ever in your building every day, that somehow the Devils would be able to find uh, another really good goaltender. But I will simply also answer by saying they don't make him like Marty anymore. They just don't. He, and he can't teach what he did. He's sure. one of those guys where what he, how he played and what he did, he can't teach that to He can give pointers, but he can't teach it so that someone else can do it the same way. So right. that's the way right. that I look at it. So I would obviously love to see Marty become some form of a coach at some point. Maybe he will. But, you know, I can fully understand why people outside the Devils organization would say, you have the greatest goaltender of all time. How can the Devils be struggling this much to find goaltending? Well, it happens. Well, if it makes you feel better, Neil, that phone that you heard in the background, that was Marty calling <laughs> to tell Dave, right. hey, pal. Yeah, you know, I hung up on him. Listen, you, you get my credentials <laughs> and you can run your mouth, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Uh, and yeah, Barry wants, Barry, yeah, Barry wants Gump in the net. Sign Gump. Uh, Bring Gump back. <laughs> Bring Gump back. <laughs> so I'm going to give you mine because we almost totally agree here. Almost. So we agree on, obviously, Lemaire. We already discussed Niedermeyer, but we, we agree on Stevens. And we, of course, agree on Patrick Eliash. But we had a little difference of opinion here on the forwards. So right, of course. My all-time devil center, and I'm going to preface this by saying this, what I said before, I have an attachment to that 88 team because, like I said, that was when the Utica Devils were first here, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of Devils that had actually come out of the, the Utica team that went up, like uh, Paul Isabar, Kevin Todd made it up there, Claude Vilgrain, Jeff Medill, the list goes on and on, right? But one of the early Devils that was I always liked was Kirk Muller. Kirk Muller, to me, one. was a fantastic leader, Right, he was the, the consolation he, prize for not getting Mario Lemieux. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. In case anybody didn't know that, it's, you're you're absolutely right. Eighty four, you're right. The draft, but I, to me, Kirk Muller was always such, such a solid, solid player. I mean, no, he didn't put up the numbers of a, a Lemieux or an Eiserman or a Howardchuk or any of the other big, you know, the big mm-hmm. numbers guys at the time. But he was a great leader, and and to me, especially in those early teams, when you think of New Jersey Devils, to me, it was Kirk Muller. Oh yeah. And the other one, I, it just it's to me. I, the only thing I reason I didn't really talk about Kirk Muller a lot is that he had a lot more success as a player and winning when he went to Montreal. True, and you know things like that. So that's kind of like the big. It's kind of the big. It's not like a, a total knock on Muller, right? But it's just you know it's just kind of the way I look at it. True, true. And Dave, this is your last chance oh, right geez. here. This mm. is my my number one New Jersey Devils right winger is of course John McClain. Second leading, <laughs> second leading point scorer in Devils history. You can't deny it. So, and, and again, he's one of those guys. When you think Devils, to me, John McClain's one of those names that comes up. So, First, yep. so for me, I had to put Johnny McClain at number one. And Dave, mm-hmm. if there's any further diehard references left, last chance. They're all X-rated. Uh, well, that, <laughs> what has that ever stopped you? <laughs> I mean, that's true. It hasn't. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's some other. I mean, we we talked about it before. Patty Verbeek was up there. Great that he also went to the Rangers. So kind of, you know, and he didn't win anything until he went to Dallas late in his career. So there was that type of situation. And you got Sundstrom. Thomas Sundstrom was actually an underrated Devils player back in the back in the early eight, early to mid eighties. Um, I believe he was a part of that team that made the playoffs for the first time, if I remember correctly. And then. 
You have, and I could see it clearly, but like for some reason his name has escaped me at the moment. He had several sons that played in the league as well. Um, but he was the first that came over from Sweden to play in the NHL. And I could see him clearly, but I think it started with an S. And I don't know why I'm blanking on this. And <laughs> while, you're blanking, like have- while you're blanking, uh, Andrew says that uh, Marty is amazing, but I can rattle off a handful of dudes who can be in the Canvo. Dominic Hasek. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yes. And I think, Andrew, you know, that's a really good point about that. Yeah, Dominic Hasek, in my opinion, is the greatest goalie in international hockey. I mean, when you talk about international, because again, you know, Marty and Patrick Waugh came from North America. They came from, um, you know, Canada. Uh, Dominic Hasek, you know, what's great about him is that he wasn't a can't-miss Hall of Fame goaltender when he first came in with Chicago. It wasn't until he went to Buffalo that he right. really took off. Became, you know, he won more Vesnas than than both of those guys. And yeah, you know, would it have been great for him to win a couple more Stanley Cups? Of course, but it wasn't because of his doing. He was the dominator. That, that's why. Did, why do you think they called him the dominator back <laughs> in the day? And uh, you know, I, he's top three in my opinion. Probably the greatest European goaltender of all time, just before um, Vladislav Tretiak, in my opinion. But, Great you know, call there. Fun. Great call. I just remember the name. Um, his, I don't know if it's his son. I think it is. His son just signed. Um, he just signed with, I think it was Carolina yesterday. And that is Paul Stastny's Stasny. father, Peter Stastny. Yes. Forced Stastny to come over to the United States and he played with the Devils. And, and look, it was a very short time. It was a very... You know, he had 173 points, and obviously he made much more of a name for himself when he played in Quebec with the Nordiques. But still, he was another one of those big-name uh, guys that I actually, even for myself, for, like didn't realize. I was like, wait a minute. Stasty played for the Devils at one point? You're right. I was he like, did. I didn't know that because obviously I wasn't alive for that. Um, <laughs> but that's a very, that's a very like – Cool thing, but that's just another name. Um, See, that's that's why he wasn't big on Kirk Muller because he wasn't he wasn't alive for that yet. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> oh, that's right, awesome. Okay. That is awesome. Right. Well, I'll tell you yeah. what. There they are. Those are all time teams. Well, that was that was pretty cool. That was really cool. And so, what I think we're going to do, we're going to go to Breakaway Trivia, and we're going to go to our commercial break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the current Devils and the outlook for this coming season. Andrew would still, he, Andrew's still griping. Oh. No, he's got, he's got some. He he doesn't think Wilt Chamberlain is the best. He thinks MJ. So well, just think about that during the break. I'll tell you what. That, that's a, <laughs> well, I don't want to do we'll, this. I yeah, I was going to say, we'll, get, we'll go on Neil's basketball <laughs> show. I knew, I knew he that. was going yeah. there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for Breakaway Trivia, though, of course, this is a Devils-themed one because, obviously, we have the guru of the Devils on. So, when the Colorado Rockies had moved to the New Jersey Devils in 1982. Not the baseball team. Not, not the baseball team. You're right. Not the baseball team. I know. Well, he was looking at me. I'm like, yes, the Rockies. Okay. He's like, no, baseball. I'm like, no. It's, I'm just confused. <laughs> Look it up. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Mr. Google, come here. <laughs> Who was the first New Jersey Devils coach? The answer when we come back. 
Visit My Little Falls and stay connected with the latest news, information, and events in the city and the area. Our mission is to generate interest in the community and connect residents in a more meaningful way by facilitating deeper conversations about how these stories will shape the future of the Mohawk Valley. Join thousands of weekly visitors who stay up to date with feature stories, interviews, videos, our event calendar, and print publication, the Mohawk Valley Express. It's about timely local news for the community, keeping citizens informed about important issues, telling about the people who live and work here, and giving locally owned businesses the opportunity to reach a very targeted audience of locals and tourists alike. It's a whole new form of media-rich content developed specifically for today's mobile lifestyle and listeners. You can download our iOS app in the iTunes store, listen to our country music streaming radio station, or sign up for a weekly newsletter. Stop by today at mybunfalls.com. You'll be glad you did. And we're back after that awesome commercial. I have to say that every show. just because Every show you do that. It's just, it gives me my, my second wind. It gets me ready for that second segment. After an hour and 15 minutes, somebody needs a win. That's right. <laughs> just, just don't break it. <laughs> uh, so that breakaway trivia question for you one more time. And I'll leave the Colorado Rockies out for you this time, Dave. Who was the first coach of the New Jersey Devils? What do you think, Neil? So I believe if I know my Devils history well enough, I believe he only coached the team for a year or two before Tommy McVie came over um, and tank tried to tank for Claude Lemieux, but we won't talk about that. Um, or Mario Lemieux, excuse me, yeah. not Claude Lemieux, well, Mario Lemieux. Yeah. You weren't born then, so you can't have this answer. Okay. Um, but if my Devil's History, because I, I, I research these things, I, I am a Devil's History buff, I believe it was Billy McMillan, if I'm not mistaken. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct, sir. He was actually the coach of the Colorado Rockies. Very long career as a player, I might add. Yes. From he, 1966 to 1978, if I remember correctly. Yes. He, he Googled it during the commercial. There's no, <laughs> no way. I did, I did not. He I did, did too. not. Where were your hands? <laughs> Show your hands. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. He had actually taken over for the uh, legendary Don, Don Cherry in Colorado. That I didn't know that. Yes. That I and actually then, didn't know. Then they moved to Jersey in 82, and he was there until November of 82. It didn't last long. That was, was that after Don Cherry was in Boston? Yes. That was, yeah, so, that was well. Yep. Okay. So yeah, Cherry got well. fired in Boston, got hired in Colorado, and they, he just didn't get along with management there. Imagine that, right? <laughs> and he wasn't there for too long. It happened in 82. I think I can understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but you're right, Billy McMillan. And then uh, Tommy McVie took over, and I'll tell you, he was a big fan favorite here in Utica because he coached the Devils, you know. And yeah. but, anyways, interesting guy too, from what I understand. From what I understand, this guy was just completely interesting. But, anyways, that was then, and this is now. We are rolling, my friend, into the 2022-23 season, and the Devils yep. have made a lot of moves this off season. Sure. Um, I'm just going to throw it right out to you. What do you think? How's it looking? You know, it's it's tough because, you know, there's still a lot of question marks in terms of the full roster. Um, you know, you can you can make a pretty good guess for the most part when it comes to the forwards, defensemen, net minding, you know, who's going to be on the team. Um, but I, I think the most interesting part of our team at this point is the bottom six. There's going to be a lot of players competing for those spots. Uh, a lot of Utica guys, definitely. You think about it, Fabian Zetterlin, who really the second time around when he came back to New Jersey at the end of the season – really kind of took the bull by the horns and, and made 
you know, did some really good things, which I think is going to have the Devils keep an eye on him. I'm glad that they were able to um, re-sign him. I didn't think that was ever going to be a problem. Uh, it was just interesting that it took longer, uh, but they were trying to focus on other, you know, sure. other players on the team. So you got that. Alexander Holtz. I mean, our first overall, our first round pick in, in two years ago, you know, this has to be the year that he makes the team and he actually starts scoring and does what he did in Utica. He does what he did in Utica here at the Devils. We're going to be rocking and rolling. Now it's going to be about, can he crack the top six? And if he doesn't, do the Devils send him down again? Because we're a little bit logjam in the top six right now with Andre Pilat, Jack Hughes, Diego Sharangovich, and then you got Dawson Mercer, Nico Heischer, and Jesper Bratt. You know, right. do the Devils really want to play Holtz in a bottom six role considering where he was drafted and all that stuff? No, but sometimes that's how it works because of, you know, what guys have done. But if Holtz is jumps up to the top six, that must mean that he did a phenomenal job and he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're all mm-hmm. counting on, right? That's what we're all counting on. Um, you have other young guys. The, the thing about it from the, the side is that we're pretty much set if you think about it, Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves, Damon Severson, uh, you got John Marino, who we just acquired, uh, Brendan Smith as well, um, and Jonas Siegenthaler, who we just signed long term. That's six defensemen right there. Right. So if the Devils go with the seventh defenseman, you're probably looking at a young guy, potentially Simone Demetz, the guy we just drafted second overall this past year. Um, you're looking at Riley Walsh, Kevin Ball, obviously. You know, who's making that's what I was mentally preparing myself for. Uh, I was mentally preparing for that. Um, but you know, there's Tom Fitzgerald has always been a big fan of creating competition, and that's what he's done going into this year. And obviously the big prize for us was to try to get Johnny Gaudreau. And once we didn't get it, it was more of a question of, well, where are we gonna go from here? But the Devils got a really good consolation prize, in my opinion, in getting Andre Pilat. That was a great one. And, yeah, the contract to, to a lot of people might seem like a big deal, but I look at it like, you know what? We've had so many years where we had 15 to $20 million of cap space. I got to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of tiring to have so much cap space and sure, not use it. Sure. So it's kind of nice to be almost at the cap, right at the cap, going into the season because we spent money to, to bring in guys and to re-sign guys to – you know, deals that are going to be here long-term. And I think Andre Pilat takes this team to another level and can really help with a veteran presence in the locker room. He's been to four Stanley Cup finals. He's been to three in a row. This guy is a winner. This guy is clutch. You saw him in the playoffs this past year. Really good signing. We traded away Pavel Zaka. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> it's finally <laughs> over. Seven years later, it's finally over. We get Eric Holla. Everybody likes to complain about it and say, like, oh, like, Zaka's better. Well, maybe that's the case, but here's the thing. Zaka, it was never going to work with the Devils. It took seven years to figure that one out, but it just never was going to work. Eric Holla comes in. He's got one year left on his deal. So, like, if it doesn't work out, he's not coming back next season. He's gone. He's just not going to. The Devils have six players, six six or eight players under contract going into the 23-24 season. And all of their core, except Jesper Bratt, is signed long-term. The Devils are basically going like, here's our core, and now we'll just put pieces around them. That's literally how they're operating Mm -hmm. because we know what's going on now. So we know everything like that. And then you look at the goaltending. The Devils needed to get somebody. 
and they went the trade route, which I think honestly makes more sense because there just was more options there. And Washington wanted to clean house for whatever reason. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that. Check Vanacek, they let go. They let Ilya Samsonov go for nothing. So they now they have um, they have Darcy Kemper, and I forgot the other guy. I think I don't even remember who they brought yeah. in. Yeah, the back. I don't even freaking know. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, Kemper's gonna be making team. seventy starts this year. <laughs> no, I mean they're they're uh, they're on the decline. As much as Capitals fans don't want to talk about it, they're on the decline. Um. But now you have a goaltending tandem of Vitek Vanacek and Mackenzie Blackwood, who should be fully healthy going into the season. Um, and he has to prove it because he's on the last year of his uh, bridge deal that he signed. Uh, Vitek Vanacek, we just re-signed because he was an RFA to a three-year deal, which is good. And all we could do is hope that the goaltending for once is solidified because we'll need both guys. Or five more on how the season goes. Um, <laughs> but, and then you look at the coaching staff. The Devils decided that Lindy Ruff needed another shot to kind of prove himself, so to speak. I don't think so, but I also understand. So they kind of cleaned house with the coaching staff. You bring in Andrew Burnett, who just who just won Coach of the Year, or at least he was a finalist. He was a finalist, yep. As, as, an, as the interim head coach of the Florida Panthers, who won the President's Trophy, well over 100 wins, I mean 100 points, it was phenomenal. And he comes in as an associate coach, which tells you right away that this man is going to be the head coach of the New Jersey Devils in the not-too-distant future. Just going to call that hmm. like it is. Interesting. You bring, in, you bring in Ryan McGill for the defense, who did a really good job in the first five years with the defensive core that Vegas had. So he's a very, very established Guy like that. And then you bring in Sarge, which was awesome. I really liked it. I, and I have no I have no issue with it because he's a very well-respected guy. The young players love him. And now he gets a chance to coach the veteran guys. And I think they'll get to like him a lot. He's going to be a eye, you know, eye in the sky type coach. He's going to mm-hmm. be up in the up in the booth, which is good. Chris Taylor is going to move down to the um, to the on ice um, area. And uh, you still got Dave Rogolsky, which is fine. I mean, he deserves another shot. I know. I mean, again, so many bad circumstances with the goaltending that who is to really blame for what just for what happened, right? Just an unreal, unrealistic uh, year that happened for the Devils. But <laughs> the coaching staff improved, in my opinion. Um, the offense, I think, improved in some degree. The defense is our strongest part of our team, which when Tom Fitzgerald took over, it was our weakest link. Now it's our strongest link. I have to bet on the hope that the goaltending tandem is good. So it's a team with a lot of interest going into this season. It is. I think they're they're vastly improved, to be honest with you, from last year. Um, Andrew, who actually, I forgot to tell you, uh, he's he's one of our co-hosts. And I, I got mixed up as to what week he was busy. That's why I didn't get the – I'll get a home about that afterwards. But he's also a huge Capitals fan. <laughs> And so <laughs> he's got a comment. Here it comes. So I'm going to read off the comment here. Um, I, I think you made a fan I can for read life. It myself. Oh, you can see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see it. Uh, I see it. He, he's I like how it started. It, 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 he goes back and forth from complimenting me to then also telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. 
It's a very interesting uh, of way of all doing the weeks it, I didn't yeah. see if he, he was available. Damn it. He, he just wants to, the Caps to play you for 82 straight games. That's all. He'll take his chances. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Oh, I'd, love, I'd love for Ovechkin oh. to stand in one place, th- hit the entire game, and just slap shot it. 30 times. I want that. I want Tom Wilson to go after our young player. Oh, here we go. I'm not even even roasting. I'm just speaking facts. Oh, this is great. This is great. I don't even hate the Capitals. That's the funny thing. Like, do I go like, do I go like, oh, dude, the Caps suck. Like, no. They've been good for over a decade. They've been good for a decade plus. Oh, man. No, it's time. It's time. You know, I've, you do have to rebuild at some point. Yeah, and I mean, they, they definitely... not going to score 50 goals a year forever. Right, right. Um, but I tell you, now he's got, now he's got to come out next week. There's just no if and yeah. or buts about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a Capitals discussion, and Neil, you can chime in. That's what <laughs> Yeah, right. I'll chime in in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit of chirping going on Yeah, there, there we go. Uh, right but, up till he breaks Gretzky's record, Willie is the real example to your earlier point. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. Interesting. Oh boy. Oh, yeah, boy. he'll probably break the Gretzky record. I'm counting on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm counting on it. I, it's just, I mean, again, we, it, you know, it's a another discussion for another time. But I mean, it's absolutely right. incredible that he's been able to stay away right. from injury the way he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and yeah, actually, you know what? Tom Wilson is just one of those guys that you you hate him when you're playing against him, but you want him on your team, right? Beyond of a shadow of a doubt. But going back to the Devils. Uh, Interesting with the coaching because, as we have discussed several times, and especially mm-hmm. at the game we were at last year, uh, several Devils fans wanted Lindy Ruff gone, gone. <laughs> I remember, I remember and there was a to apologize to your kids. <laughs> it was my fault. You know, we, we your, thought your young, we held you break the curse. Not ha- your youngest daughter was not happy with me. <laughs> She'll get over it. She'll be all right. <laughs> they trade, hey, listen, if, if Zetterlin doesn't make the team, I don't know. Well, well listen, she's been to enough games in Utica that she understands. Trust me. <laughs> okay, good. As long as I understand that. But, <laughs> but no, there was there was a lot of fans that wanted Lindy Ruff gone. And the players were really the ones that said, no, you know, we we actually like the guy. You know, let's give him mm-hmm. one more chance and, and see how it works out. Um, absolutely a great move bringing in Andrew Burnett. But it kind of wonders, makes me wonder, where does it leave Kevin Deneen? In the, in the coaching chain of things? This is a good question because actually before we thought about Burnett, because again, we did not know when the offseason began that Burnett was going to not be with uh, right, Florida. Right, I mean, he got he, – he didn't get fired. He just basically – like basically the Panthers were like, oh, we're going to bring in Paul Maurice. Uh, we want you to stay. But you know, it's like – to me it was like that's kind of bad that – Yeah. He, treat, he was kind of treated badly at the end there. And look, Tom Fitzgerald and Burnett played together in the NHL, mm-hmm. so there is that relationship. And it kind of goes back to Mike uh, saying that uh, a great person that I admire always tells me, "You never know who you're talking to." Why? You never know. Mm-hmm. So you know, it just sure. it kind of happened that way in that situation. Um, but when you when you leave for Kevin Deneen, I believe this. This is I don't want to say this is a theory. This is just my belief. I believe that the devil spoke to Kevin Deneen about the possibility maybe down the road. And I, I just think Kevin Deneen probably enjoys more of the process of developing young players and things like that. I mean, he has experience sure. as an assistant coach in the NHL and obviously as a player as well, 
but maybe it's just a different pace. Maybe the Devils trust him so much when it comes to the development of the younger players. Right. I mean, look at the job he did this year. Look at what everything Utica accomplished. Absolutely. I mean, if that's not a job well done, I don't know what is, because here's the thing. I knew Fabian Zetterlin was a good player three or four years ago when he played in the prospects camp against some other prospects from some other teams. But Kevin Deneen took Zetterlin and took him to another level. Sure. To the point where he was top guy, came to the Devils. I mean, I told you, when he first came to the team and he spoke to media, he says, I hope I bring that 13-game winning streak mentality to the Devils. He's the guy who just got called up to the NHL, mind you. That's awesome. That's confidence. That is confidence. And that, to me, I think is a job well done by Kevin Deneen. Um, I don't know. It, do I think Deneen could do the job? It's possible. But I think now with Burnett, not because Andrew Burnett was not hired as an assistant. He was as hired as an associate. That's a big difference, which too. Is a, which, is a, which is a glamorous title of saying, we, you're going to be the head coach. Right. Just, you know, hang on tight. Because I said this before, and I'll reiterate it. Unless the Devils win the Stanley Cup this year, Lindy Ruff is not coming back. I mean, I'm just being kind of honest. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I can't see it. But I don't think Lindy Ruff would stop being with the Devils. I believe that he will probably be put into a different role in the organization because a lot of the Devils players seem to like Lindy Ruff and like his coaching, which sometimes I question considering how the team plays sometimes. But, you know, I think that there's I think there's a gentleman's agreement to all of this, to be quite honest with you. As far as Kevin Deneen is concerned, look, if he gets an opportunity somewhere else, I, I totally understand. But right now, I love what he's done in Utica and I'm excited to see him do it again and maybe go even further than he did um, in his first year here uh, in, in Utica. So, right. I think right now it leaves him where he still is. But things can change. Things can certainly change. Oh, sure, Ken. I mean, he's in the, the second year of a three-year contract. So, I mean, that's, you know, they, they do have some security there. Um, and we were talking before the show came on about the whole Johnny Goudreau situation. How that, you know, we were talking that he wanted to go yeah. home. But, you know, same time zone, I guess, good enough for him. Going yes. to Columbus, he but, wanted to go home, but not be too close to home. So yeah, I don't yeah. Know what that means. Right. It's like it, it's like it's like a kid going to college and saying, "I want to be away from my parents, but I also don't want to be that far away." Yeah. So it's like you, <laughs> yeah. It's like you live in New Jersey. You're from New Jersey, but you go to school in Philadelphia, so you're kind of away from your family, but not really. <laughs> but you, yeah, you're a thirty you minute know? drive home. Yeah. Like a, yeah, but he's like, "Oh, it's only like a two hour flight," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Like, what, like, what does that what, even mean? What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's like the more he spoke about why he wanted to go to Columbus, the worse he sounded. Like the worse it got. Especially when he was like, oh, yeah, we were in position to sign with the Devils. And then Columbus jumped in. Which to me is just like if he didn't have any time to think about Columbus and like everything like that, this clearly tells me he just wanted somebody else to jump in. He didn't want to go to the Islanders. He didn't want to go to the Devils. So he goes to Columbus. The Flyers fans don't hate him. You know, yeah. even even Calgary fans are like weirded out, but they're like, we lost out to Columbus. <laughs> well, at least okay. we'll never hear from him again. Yeah, a... <laughs> and I mean, shout out to the Flames, by the way, for having one of the better Oof. off seasons, I know, which is right? kind of hard, which is crazy to think about because you lose Johnny Gaudreau and, and Matthew Kachuk. 
But you get Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberdeau. Yeah. Uh, you you at the last second you then, pull up, you pull Nazem Kadri out of nowhere. You know that's still a relatively even, competitive team. Even though I think that was way too much term for Kadri, but that's well, just anybody me. who was getting Kadri was yeah, going to that was no doubt Kadri. about it. No. Islanders probably would have given him a ridiculous contract. Oh yeah, somebody somebody was going to give up that ridiculous contract, no doubt about yeah. it. But yep. I do want to I want to close just because I was kind of uh, I was segueing into that article you wrote about a which you haven't looked at yet. I, well, I haven't been looked at it today. today. I know I got to look at it tonight. So without hey you, re, hey, you retweet a lot of my stuff, so you know. Hey, listen, it's, it's all about those socials, right? You gotta and but you gotta make sure to to give me a um give me a like at the bottom of the article when you look at it. Oh, absolutely. You, you know I will, pal. You know that. I appreciate it. Not after you read it. Yeah, right. <laughs> See, now you both got to read it. You both got to get it. Uh, all, right, all right. Listen, so, and you know what? So long as it doesn't it's involve. It's only a seven-minute read. It's too bad. As seven long as it minutes. doesn't involve Zetterlin, my daughter will give you a like, too. So it's okay. It's not about Zetterlin. <laughs> it's not about Zetterlin. I mean, I can write one for her. She can read it. Me that I'm the insane yeah. or whatever. She'll put a hit on you. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah, she's got all her babysitting money now. She's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But without yeah. giving it away, just kind of give us a, a quick gist of what it's all about. Well, I personally don't mind giving it away because anybody could go look it up on Inside the Puck. Uh, I post a new article, like I mentioned before, every Wednesday. So covering the Devils. I like also writing opinion pieces as well, just to kind of spice things up. And sometimes, you know, in a week, you don't have a whole lot to talk about. So sometimes you got to come up with a an idea of sorts. And so I went down the route of David Pasternak because it was very interesting because it's, it's an interesting situation right now with him, right? The Bruins haven't re-signed him yet. And granted, it's August. I mean, they don't have to do it now. They don't have to do it even in December, like mm-hmm. they could just wait till next off season and do it if they felt like I'm just, you know, again, this is, there's so much that goes into this that has to happen for the devils and Pasternak to become a reality. But the main premise of the article is should the devils pursue David Pasternak? And I was just talking to somebody about this today about, you know, being a little bit more clear what I meant by the article. If you read it already, you know, Great. But if you haven't, just understand this. I'm talking about the Devils pursuing him in a trade later on this season or next free agency when he becomes a free agent. So I'm not talking about in the right now, today, somehow right, pull right. it off. Like it's doing it right now is ludicrous and everything like that. But I was talking about the positive reasons and the things that make sense to why a guy like Pasnock would could you know would be good here. Would he come here? That's up to him. That's up to him to make that decision. And the devil's got to do stuff to make it attractive, like winning, getting into the playoffs, right, right. showing that the core of the team is taking a step forward. I mean, would we love to see Jack Hughes get 100-plus points this season and the devils make the playoffs? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would we love to see Fabian Zetterlin make the team and score 40 goals in his first full season? Yeah, it's unreal as hell, but... You know, anything is possible. Hockey's a magical, unpredictable. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know what a crop ton is. A what? A yeah, crop that ton. Was, yeah, I, I knew some. I knew. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I say one thing and I mean the other. Okay, I'm all right. Down. Just checking that. I feel. I feel like. I feel like now he's not going to give me a like because of that. <laughs> it, it, for, it's so for, critical. For, yeah, but. No, I mean, you know, look, 
the Devils need a guy that has a nose for the goal, a guy who, you know, is a superstar. And Jack Hughes can certainly become this guy, okay? But right now, other than in Devil's World, how well-known is Jack Hughes? Like, how many people around the world in the hockey world really 100% know who Jack Hughes is? Not, not as much as you'd think. Let me put it that way. And... Obviously, this is a big year for him to take that step into becoming the superstar that we all believe that he is. But the Devils have, for the most part, struck out on getting the top, you know, big name player. They got Dougie Hamilton two years ago, and they finished in, let's call it, second place in getting Johnny Gaudreau this last offseason. And you look at some of the talent that'll be in the next free agency market, and the top two guys in my head to come right away are a 32-year-old Patrick Kane, who's going to get a crap load of money no matter where he goes, mm-hmm. probably the Rangers. Um, and you got a guy like David Postonok, who is going to fetch $10, $10.5 million. Easily. The Devils, will have, the Devils will have about $35 million in cap space before anything else. Before anything else, $35, $36 million in cap space. Even signing a long-term deal with Jesper Brad, which is all what we're hoping for. Because we were trying to get it done this year. It didn't work. We got him on a one-year deal. It's fine. He's going to be an RFA next season. We're going to, I think it's going to work out eventually. But after that, you could still pay Postonok the money he wants. And you could still be put in a decent position. And at some point, you have to start making those moves to try to win. Like you have, you, you've, you've solidified the core. I'll build the team around them. And Postonok would obviously be a part of that core because it'll be 27, 28 by the time he gets himself, by the, by the time he becomes a free agent. And he's a superstar in this league, and he's a great personality. He's on so many commercials. He's a recognizable face. Him coming to New Jersey would legitimize this franchise even more. And Tom Fitzgerald, I think, is not afraid to do what he needs to do to make this team better. And he has the financial backing of the ownership, which I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime, <laughs> to actually go out and spend if he has to. Um, but at the end of the day, is all of this realistic? It's going to take time for it to become realistic. But it was just speculation. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. Do I think the Devils need to trade for Postnock? The only way that they trade for Postnock is for a couple of reasons. One, the Devils are in a playoff spot looking to make that major push. Two, the Bruins are going nowhere and they've not gotten close to a contract extension with, with, uh, with Pasta. Three, the Devils have to be okay with giving up maybe a top prospect or two and some draft picks, which... Draft picks at this point, I mean, right, first round, pick, right. we've done enough of it. Honestly, we've done, and we have a boatload of prospects. So, I mean, you know, we can make it work. Right. We can make it work and everything like that. And also, if you do make that trade, you got to hope that there's a contract extension with it right away. Oh, it's got to be. Trade. There's you know got to be, like, yeah. You got to have it done then because then you solidify it then. You don't have to worry about it in free agency, all that stuff. But if he does get the free agency – in my opinion, I think you make the full court press. I really do. Yeah, I really absolutely. think you got to do that. Because can you imagine a line, just talking, you know, speculation again. Can you imagine a top line for the Devils, Apostanak, Jack Hughes, and Alexander Holtz for a long time? Wow. You're taught, you talk, you know, we talk about the perfection line in Boston, right? Ooh, you know, you've heard it. Right. Years. This is like the, the, what do you, you know, the improbable line, you know, I guess you'd say. Or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's... The unbeatables, you know, right? You just you <laughs> so, imagine your defense having to go up against those three guys on the line, you know, all the time. Yeah, that's, be a nightmare. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's crazy. Be a nightmare with Jack Hughes' credible passing ability and the goal scoring prowess of Postnock and Alexander Holtz on the wings. Absolutely. And again, Holtz has got to get going. We're counting on him to be that goal scorer. The Devils were one of six teams that didn't have a player have 200 shots or more this season. And every team that didn't was really bad. Except the Islanders, only because they had such a terrible start to the season. So it was kind of um, in there. But would it have changed anything to get one or two guys 200 shots? No, because guys like Bratton, Dougie Hamilton were not that far off from mm-hmm. it. But it does go a long way. And the Devils haven't had a 30-goal scorer since 17-18 when Taylor Hall was there. So wow. I didn't realize it was that long. They need this. I thought he was talking about the year. But again, but again, <laughs> that, that like hockey was way back. <laughs> that too. But again, a lot of it speculation, and it's all about a lot has to happen. You know, the Devils got to get going. Right. They got to focus on the team they have now. But I thought it would just be kind of a fun article, and Pasternak apparently he was interviewed by a Czech um, website recently. The article came out a couple of days ago, and it was loosely translated, which is always tough right, with translate. Right. It wasn't even just like Google Translate. It was like you try to translate it on Twitter. I don't know how that hmm. how they do that. But it's okay. Just, <laughs> I didn't know they did do that. You would, here's the thing. If you're trying to translate, you'd much rather have somebody that's like can speak that language and understand well, sure. it yeah. and translate it that way. But the loose transfer of it was – you know, Pasternak has been in the league for nine years and he's regrets some things because he hasn't won anything yet. And right now he's just focusing on being healthy for the upcoming season. Apparently talks between him and the Bruins have basically been put on pause because the Bruins have also tried to make some other moves. Like they brought back Bergeron. They brought back from overseas, David Krejci. The old core is back for at least another go around. Mm-hmm. But how much longer can that core last? Yeah. I and mean, how much more can Pasternak be like, I'm okay with getting in the playoffs, but not winning anything. Right. Now you look at it from the Devils. Why the hell would he go from that to us? Where not only have we not won anything, we haven't even made the, we've made the playoffs once in the last ten years. But it's all a lot of it depends on how the Devils perform this season, where everything is by that point, all this stuff. But I thought it was really interesting point to make it was an article that I've wanted to written for wanted to write for a while because back in June I believe it was you know there was a report from the athletic that came out about the fact that David Postnock reportedly did not get along with uh, their general manager Don Sweeney um, and that created all sorts of you know news and stuff like that I know that Postnock's agent said that was not true and he doesn't know where that came from which I always look at that stuff and say, wherever there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Like there had, there has to be something yeah. that created that, that, but I remember a lot of people bringing up to say the devils make sense as one of those teams. If you're looking for a to go somewhere, they make a lot of sense. The same thing was said about Alex to Johnny Gaudreau, right. You know, Kevin Fiala, we were rumored for every big time player in the free agency and trade markets this past year. It's a good chance we're in it again next year, depending on how things go. So, well, all speculation. Would I love it? I love Pasternak. He's one of my favorite players in the game. Not as just a player, but a personality. I love the dude. Um, but a lot has to happen for that to become a reality. But it would be crazy if a year from now, 
we're sitting here and it, and it does become a reality. It would be pretty remarkable. But that was the article I wanted to write. And again, um, inside the puck, uh, the article is titled, Should the Devils Pursue David Pasternak? So that was the article. Well, if you follow my socials, you're going to see it out there because it's going to be a point of mine. As soon as this show's over, I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> And I will say, like, for Alexander Holtz, I watched a lot of him in Utica last year, and at the start of the season, he was not very good defensively. As the season went on, he got a lot better. So the point I'm making here is with him, if the Devils aren't going to play him in the top six, they should probably maybe send him back down to Utica, let him develop a little bit more. That's just my opinion. Uh, But needless to say, this is a huge season for the Devils. This is a really good – that's a really good point, Scott. Yeah. I mean, That's a really good point, Scott. I mean, again – we, we, we talked about it in Devil's World again that we want Alexander Holtz to make the top six. But if he can't make it, there is no point in him being on the team. Right. And that, unfortunately, is where then if there are trade rumors that come out you know, later on in the season, he might be one of those guys involved because it's like, well, he can't, he can't crack the top six. If he's not cracking the top six, he may not fit here. We, you know, it's, yeah. it's a tough – it's unfortunate. It really is. Unless, I will say this, if Alexander Holtz – makes the top six, somebody on that top six is going to get traded. It's right. going to happen. Hey, you got to have probably room. Won't be, it probably won't be Mercer because he just started. It'll probably be Sharon Govich because he's kind of the odd man out. Andreas Janssen as well could be on the, on the, you know, on the way out. He probably will be gone regardless. I don't know if Sharon Govich could do well on a third line with a guy like Eric Hall. Maybe he can. Because if you got goal scoring in your first three lines, you got a deep team offensively. Sure. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, but I'm I'm expecting Holtz to make the team. That and yeah. that is my expectation. Yeah, me too. Me too. I want him to come out like a house on fire, and I want him to dominate the league. Because if we have a guy who's the second coming of David Pasternak, <laughs> oh, there you go. We don't, need to, we don't need to do anything, then, do we? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I will mention that he does model his game after Pasternak. So that's there's something there's something for that. Now I just wonder if he drinks Duncan just like David Pasternak. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Suffice to say, a huge season coming up for the Devils, my friend. This has been so much fun. I, uh, I every time you come on, it's just I, I I end up dehydrated because I laugh so much. It's it's such a good time. <laughs> uh, once again, tell us where we're going to find you on the socials. Yeah, so you can follow me on my personal socials, uh, Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, and my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. Also on my profile, you'll see a link tree to all the stuff that I do. So if you want to check out anything that I, in my career, you can certainly go and take a look. And as far as Devils are concerned, check out the Devil State of Mind podcast. Again, new episodes every Monday and Thursday. Um, we're getting... 200 plus downloads an episode right now. Like we are really rocking and rolling. It's one of the most listened to shows on the network, which has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we get listeners all over the world that listen to the podcast. So we are now an international podcast, which is great. Um, again, new episodes every Monday and Thursday. So I'll have a new one out tomorrow. Uh, you can follow the, the podcast on Twitter at devil state, Instagram at devil state of mind. And also, if you still somehow have Facebook, make sure to like us on Facebook as well. And uh, all the all the social media stuff and everything, that's all me. So when you're interacting with the podcast, you're interacting with the hosts themselves. That is and, awesome. Uh, go check it out. Yeah. And like I mentioned before, go check out Inside the Puck is where I'm going to do all my hockey article writing. Uh, it's, it's still a work in progress, as I was just 
mentioned. Uh, I was just reminded again. Um, still a working progress. Beats That's what crop happens out when of I eight. don't. This is what happens when I don't. I don't get my editor involved. So I do apologize for that. But go check it out again. New articles talking about the Devils and all things Devils on um, every Wednesday. So check that out as well. But as always, guys, thank you so much for having me on. I love coming on here and chatting with you guys. And uh, as always, you guys uh, can have me on whenever you like. Absolutely. And you'll definitely have to come back on again sometime because, like I said, it's just way too much fun. That was Neil Villapiano, the host of the Best Devils podcast out there, the Devil's State of Mind podcast. Well, that's all we got for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening, watching, commenting. It's been a really fun show interacting with everybody. So, for Neil Villapiano, for Dave the Save Warner, I'm Scott Kinville. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Marty's Illegal Stick, a hockey history podcast. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to Sports historynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.